The intermediate line advises a language and concept warning for the entire show. G'day punters, Dan here. I'm on my way home from another unsuccessful fishing trip. Spent all day flogging, flogging, flogging. And I ended up just flogging myself silly. Anyway, it was a good day out with the uh, old man and another mate. So, uh, and that's what it's all about, getting connected. Anyway, enjoy the episode. This episode of the Intermediate Line is brought to you by Nervous Water. For all your premium fly fishing requirements, please visit nervouswater.com.au. And Beast Brushes, Australian-made brushes and dubbing, professionally graded natural materials, plus a full shop for all of your fly tying needs at beastbrushes.com. Welcome back, listeners, to another exciting episode of the Intermediate Line. This is Falsy, and my co-host is Chris the Beast Adams. How are you going, Chris? Good, thanks, uh, Jeff the Yeti Volta. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I haven't been called a beast from from a, um, for a while. Thanks. You're a you're a beast, man. I, I classify you as a beast. You're a uh, <laughs> You're a fly fishing beast, fly tying beast. Yeah, just and just you- running wild, mate. Just running wild, <laughs> running wild, untamed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, listeners, we're recording this on Australia Day. Um, so, we happy Australia Day to uh, to you guys and um, and international international guests too, um, international listeners, I should say. It's um, uh, yeah, it's a it's a public holiday here in Australia. Um, uh, I'm not going to get into the politics of it, but uh, today we all have off work, and um, and we uh, we think about you know what it means to be an Australian. Some good. Some well bad. said, mate. Yeah, that, that's yeah. I think that's acceptable. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. hard not to offend someone these days, mate. So um, <clears throat> I think uh, I think what you said is um, minimal damage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Definitely don't want to offend anyone, but th- that's how we are. Hey, uh, went that's fishing that, today. Yeah, that's, that's how we are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. the caveat to what you just heard, people. That yeah. is how we yeah. are. Yeah. All right. So what did you say then? <laughs> yeah, took took the family fishing today, mate. We, oh, um, did you? What did yeah, you, yeah. you, you uh, go fishing for? Uh, a bit of bit of everything really so uh listeners who come in late got two two boys and a wife um the boys are just starting to get into fishing they've got um they're, they're nine and seven um they got varying degrees of aptitude and um and um and patience um so you know we try to break things up with you know towing them around on a on a uh, in a kayak or or pumping yabbies or you know eating stuff or driving fast around the joint just stuff like that to keep them engaged and um yeah so yeah went up the uh <laughs> the bribey passage today uh you know just keeping an eye on a few few things going up there too while we're trying to catch broom and whiting and flatties that sort of stuff um well actually we pulled up here's a bit of news pulled up at one of the spot a, a newish spot um there's a nice looking sandbank newish spot for me i should say just looking for some <clears throat> for some yabbies because the normal yabby pumping spots out of the water and um uh yeah and on the back of this sand flat there's this um uh there's a seagrass flat and just we must hit just the right stage of the tide because actually saw about 30 or 40 brim tailing there mate oh really yeah yeah i thought you might you know you might have been interested to hear that i'll um i'll pass on that spot yeah um but yeah i I didn't know was the water clean no because it was that i don't know if you're well, where where we were today was was um, very cloudy and overcast and raining a lot. Um, and uh, in fact, from about from about uh, ten thirty onwards, it sort of uh, the rain sort of didn't say let up. It was drizzly and and uh, but yeah, seeing into the water was difficult. But yeah, it, and it got a bit windy at one point too, which was not not real cool. But uh, for for sight fishing, yeah. But so was the water some, clean? No. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no. Sorry, mate. It's, it was a, it was an appropriate answer, but I just felt like yeah. I just reiterate. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, no, man, step in. It's cool. You know, what I mean? yeah. Um, visibility was tough. I understand, but um, but there was the water cleaning up because we've had a lot of rain here. The water looks like um, uh, you know, like diet coke at the moment, right? For most yep. places. Yep. Ice yeah, coffee had... for some rivers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like yeah, confectionery so... beverages. <laughs> yeah so what is it what, what, would you put it as like a a watered down coke like a coke shandy or is it nice and clear no i'd put it as um you know if you do a coke spider so you put the ice cream oh on yeah coke, yep. and then um and then you leave it for ages and then you stir it look like that yeah oh, that's terrible mate so you must yeah. have just, just just if they weren't tailing you wouldn't have seen them that's correct yeah yeah so gotcha. and, and they were clearly brim um but yeah so anyway that's cool yeah. man that would have yeah. been um, that would have been easy pickings in that color water. Those, those brimmer. I still maintain some of the hardest fish you'll you'll catch in skinny water, mm. particularly yellowfin brim at least. You know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I didn't have fluoride on board, and I, I wouldn't have had a crack anyway. Mm. So yeah. Um, well, I could tell you, it probably would have made a difference to me because I went fishing too. But anyway, you, have you? Sorry, I thought you might have finished there. I want to hear the complete story. Is that? Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, have yeah. I, have I, I picked I, up I on that's the ending, or have I incorrectly? Interrupted. No, no, man. No, that, that's right. You, you didn't pick up. It was um, it was Australia Day. I didn't throw out the brim. Um, 
because I didn't have Flora on board, uh, but I, I did mentally note it for next time. Um, yeah, so that's me, man. Let's talk about you. Go. Let's go out and do a um, a uh, vlog on it. What? The tailing brim. We can come to Gabby's too. I suppose we could, man. Uh, if that's if that's your go, yeah. Well, why wouldn't yeah. it be your go? I challenge you to uh, to make it look easy. <laughs> yeah, mate. Let's um. You catch I'll... one, mate, and I'll be I'll be just like mate, blown away. Catch one in, in an allowance of a day of a vlog, and I'll be I'll be uh, I'll be lauding you, Volts. <laughs> mate, I, I have no illusions as as a brim fisherman. I've caught I've caught more permit than I've caught uh, brim. So there you go. Yeah, so, cool, man. Yeah. I, um, uh, just, yeah. just not that interested. Let's let's hear about you. What have you been up to? Okay. Um, I went fishing. It's a short story. Um, went to went to my favourite lake to fish for Saratoga. Cast uh-huh. a fly around for for most of the morning, and um, didn't have a bump until I went to pack up and I cast the fly out. Wound the put the, put the uh, try to get the line. Oh, well, I got. I cast a fly out my, with my intention of putting the line away, so putting it back on the reel. So I'm winding the line in, mm. and uh, my intended target species was the was the when I the only time I saw the intended target species when when it um, followed that fly in all the way to the rod tip and just um, broke water as it turned away. So it was a real piss take that um, that that happened. That's yeah, my story. Well, that is uh, that's frustrating. That is really kind of annoying when that happens. Yeah, well, yeah. the lakes had a lot. Of, there's been a lot of rain. Like, there's meters and meters of water above the bridges when you get in there from all the you know, shrubbery or um, <laughs> riparian scenarios. Um, <laughs> yeah, a lot of the benthic strata is all disturbed as well. And uh, shit, yeah, right. Yeah, um, but it was it was a lot of rain. I think the dam's turned over. To be honest with you, because it's been about yeah. a week. It's been pretty hot. It looks like it's been turned over. There's there's no thermocline on the sounders or anything like that, and the fish are just. Just weird, just really weird. A lot of weird stuff happening there. Sort of a lot of lungfish and things like that, which you don't normally see, which was weird. So it was um, just really strange. Yeah, right. That's... Well, it was worth going out and have a look anyway. Yeah, right. We should start yeah. a new segment about strange stuff you see at boat ramps, because I saw another strange stuff at the boat ramp at the same lake. Oh, really? What was it? So I pulled the boat in, and um, and I just happened to rock up um, to it first as, as bringing the boat in to put away. And uh, as I was at the boat ramp there, there was these two kids, <laughs> like in life jackets, pretty young kids, and they were um, just playing in the boat ramp there. Anyway, mm. and um, I'm like thinking, because there's people on the, where you bring your boat in on the beach bit there, and I thought, there's plenty of parents here. Maybe that's their, their parents there. Didn't think too much of it. Walked to get my car, which is about, I don't know, uh, about maybe 300 meter walk sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And near my car was this dude with his back to the boat ramp, because sort of I'm going here. Um, and he's just inflating like this thing you tow behind a boat. I put my boat in, and there's these other people lined up in the water, and they're just sitting there, and they're yelling at these kids, you're going to have to move, kids. You're going to have to get off the boat ramp. And I hear one of the kids go, I can't move. And there's this grommy kid. He had a life jacket on. He's just float. He can't swim. He's just floating out. And then I hear the parent from like 300 meters away, boys, that's it. And these people are like, you, you're going to have to get in, kids. And they I can't move. And the other kids just like, barely swim, had to swim out and get his um, younger brother. <laughs> oh God! I'm just. Wow. <laughs> now, these are the people in life that we compete with, you know. So it's um, it's just very interesting. But you always seem to magnify that by bringing a boat ramp into the equation with, with people mm. like that. I reckon, you know. Yeah. Yep. 
Wow, that's a that's a pretty irresponsible parent, eh? What fuck with? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it might be a new segment, mate. Stuff you see at boat ramps. Yeah. <laughs> no that, surprises, mate. No surprises today. We had this guy. Uh, two. You could fit two cars side by side on the boat ramp I was using today. Mm. And um, anyway, about to back down to to retrieve my boat, and this guy, this hero, just pulls in. And goes, oh mate, can I just go in front of you? And I'm look, I look at him, you know, thinking, oh, shit, it's Australia Day. Fuck. All right. You know what? Just just get in there, pal. Anyway, as he drives past, I checked out his boat. It wasn't a boat. It was a fucking jet ski, right? Oh, you know I was what? about to say it's a jet ski, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Ford Ranger with a jet ski. Anyway, <laughs> old Ranger, mate. Yep. You know what he does? It's two, two lanes. He puts it right down the middle. Like, and you can tell the way he was reversing that, you know, it was probably in his first half a dozen times reversing anything. Yeah, yeah. You know? And yeah. Um, it just lined up on that on that center line on the, on the ramp and just put it down the middle and then then had that wicked kick at the end, you know, where they just take their, <laughs> their mind off, off the job and it's like, yeah, he poked it into the wind. Oh, man. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. Oh, that, yeah. And then, you're right, he gets to the bottom and he goes to push his, his jet ski off and, and, um, Anyway, it wouldn't budge, and then uh, he, uh, you see the light bulb go on. He just pulls it out a bit, and he left the the, the, the tie down straps on at the back. Oh yeah, yeah. right, okay. <laughs> so, so here's me being a good dude, you know, um, letting him go first, and he punishes me by by clogging up the boat ramp and and fucking forgetting his tie downs. So. What a champion! Yeah. And that was yeah, shit. You see it, boat ramps. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Mm-hmm. Only more of that to come up. So it's, uh, mate. It's it's yeah. Kids are home from school still. They should be at school, mate. God, I hate school holidays. Just sucks. Good having uh, kids at home. It's great. I, I like that part. But man, the waterways pretty clogged up. Like you said, oh, with jet great. skis, jet skis, all sorts of miscellaneous uh, logs. I thought you yeah. might have seen him while he was off the water, you know, and, and he might have approached you and said, how'd you go today, mate? And you would have been, oh, no, good, saw a couple of fish. How'd you go, mate? I didn't see too many people enjoying themselves in quiet part of the water I could have ruined, but it was a good day. Well, <laughs> 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 matter of fact, like, what are you, I'm trying to jet ski. What do you mean? I'm not doing anything else. <laughs> oh, shit. See you, mate. Yeah. That is so accurate, eh? Yeah. yeah. It's like they see someone like wading, you know. They, they might be waist deep having a fish, you know. And you, you all know when you when you're on foot, you're limited to your mobility where you can go. And these fuckwits, they go in behind people, they go around them, they go within, you know, go within thirty meters at speed. It's just incredible. I, I'm surprised there hasn't been more carnage on the water at the hands of jet skiers. Eh? Yeah. yeah. The only reason they'd pull up is to stop and crack a can of Monster. <laughs> <laughs> I think they'll just love those monster stickers, eh? Yeah. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, mate. So uh, would you like would you like to describe tonight's guest before we okay, get Okay, yes. So it's really ironic that um, – actually, ironic's a bad word. Fitting's a better word. This evening, we're, um, we've got the, uh, the owner of Fly Life magazine with us. Now, Fly Life will be familiar to a lot of listeners. To some, they mightn't have heard of it. Um, uh, fly Life is an iconic um, fly fishing magazine. It's it's probably what you'd, you'd term as a as a glossy, like a coffee table style magazine um, with high uh, high print and production values. Um, 
and it's a quarterly magazine and uh, I think, uh, well, I know it's up to number 105, so times that, we'll divide that by four and give you, give you an indication that it's been going over 26 years. Um, and um, and this gentleman's kindly given up our time. And it's, uh, Fly Life's got a, a worldwide, I say reputation, but it, it's well well known, at least throughout the South Pacific and, um, and most sort of um, trout fishing destinations. Um, and we'll talk about that tonight. The guy's name is Leighton Adam, um, and it's, it's you know, like I said, it's very fitting that we have we have a um, uh, an Aussie export to the world on Australia Day. Um, so yeah, I'm really looking forward to to talking uh, talking with Leighton. Um, fly life is something that's quite dear to my heart. Um, as you know, as a fly fisherman, um, I've I've got them all actually, all 100 and five copies of it 106 copies whatever it was said it was 105 sorry i'm looking at it um so yeah it's it's a um it's a great publication uh um yeah so what do you reckon we get late on yeah mate no drama all right i will stop the recording Layden, you're the owner of Fly Life. I just want to get that right, right? Correct, yeah. Okay, cool. And editor? Yeah, uh, uh, my official title is publisher and managing editor. Righto, cool. No worries. I'll just, I'm only going to write it down. I'm just going to get straight into it while it's fresh. Too easy. Publisher and managing editor. Yeah. Okay. Welcome back, folks. So here we're uh, sitting down with uh, with Leighton Adam. And um, Leighton is the uh, owner of Fly Life and... Uh, Oh, God damn it, he just told me this a second. <laughs> uh, publisher and managing editor. There it's we go. a, ma- it's a mouthful, so I don't blame you, Chris. <laughs> yeah, plus I'm a Queenslander, so it's, uh, you know, these big words confuse us. So, um, but I got through it. I'm pretty happy with myself. <laughs> Mate, but thanks for joining us, Layden. Really appreciate you making the time on, uh, on this Australia Day public holiday. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, you're very welcome. Um, yeah. 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 Well, thanks. Thanks again um, for coming on, Leighton. Hey, um, Leighton, I'm a long time fan of Fly Life. I was saying in the intro, which you haven't heard, but you will when you listen back. Um, you know, Fly Life is something really important to me, but, um, and I followed it from, from the start. Uh, but when you came along and bought the, uh, bought the magazine, um, the thought occurred to me, I, I didn't really know you. So I sort of thought, Maybe some of our listeners would be in the same boat. Um, so let's uh, let's have the one hundred and one on late late and Adam. <laughs> yeah, well, it's probably probably worth explaining that um, ghost who walks entry into the into the fly fishing world. I suppose first. Um, yeah, it's fair to say that you know when I came on the scene uh, in a more formal way in fly fishing by kind of being public in fly life people people were like who the hell is this bloke and you know what horse did he ride in on um yeah and yeah I'd, I'd been fly fishing for for a long time just for myself really you know with, with a few mates and that sort of thing and and been a long time fly life reader and subscriber myself yep. um so you know probably similar sent- sentiments to you in terms of what what fly life meant to to me and my my fly fishing journey yeah and um it really turned into a 
a kind of a, um, a serendipitous scenario where I just happened to meet uh, Rob Sloan one day at a wedding, and um, you know one thing went led to another, and and before I knew it, I'd, I'd, I'd sort of bought into into fly life and went, you know, what the hell, what the hell's going on here? Like I just, <laughs> I, I think I'm a part owner then and now now full owner. Um, yep. Of of my favourite magazine, and and to me, it, it's always been a lot more than than a magazine, and I think that's true of most of our readers. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that was about about six years ago, and and it's it's been a, a whirlwind journey ever since, but a really enjoyable one. Can I ask, uh, Layden? Geez, I only called you Adam there. I'm so sorry. People say it to me all the time. It's called yeah, me. I get it all the time too. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe I did it to someone else. That is that is amazing. Um, you're on, my shit your, li- you're on my shit list now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm on my own shit list persona. That's, uh, that's completely inexcusable. In fact, I've even got a certificate from one of my half and reels that says, congratulations, Adam. <laughs> I've seen it. That's hilarious. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, mate, I wanted to know, I was, I'm interested, because that sounds like a pretty big uh, um, decision to make uh, for anyone, but have you got a background in, in a similar industry? Uh, really, my background came from, I guess, uh, a content background. So I was in in the um, digital marketing space, um, you know, working in corporate land, uh, sort of doing the full full cliche of, of walking the corporate life and and never finding any time to actually go fishing, but you know, w- wanting to be out there all the time. And um, uh, yeah, so I guess that skill set of not necessarily in traditional publishing in print but in publishing from a point of view of content creation and and consulting to lots and lots of different companies across australia from you know big companies big corporate companies through to you know little startups for swimwear companies and things like that Uh, i'd spent a lot of time in that really kind of embryonic phase of of the digital world um uh, helping you know my own clients in in that world develop their presence in that space so so it's it's not as much of a stretch as it might might seem um other than from a fly fishing credibility point of view i wasn't a public figure or i'm not i'm on a personal level i'm not big on social media and that sort of thing so you know people were basically like who the hell's this guy <laughs> like you know yeah. does he know yeah. anything about the sport at all and and you know i'm pretty humble with that i i've got a long way to go with you know learning lots of aspects of the sport still and 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 i kind of i guess i use that as my um platform to to explore fly fishing on our readers behalf and and that's really become i think a big part of my my mo and identity through fly life is to sort of be the guy prepared to ask the dumb questions of the people who do know um and and I think that's really really helped, and and it's probably also helped me kind of fit in with the community a bit faster than coming in acting like I, you know, I'm God's gift to fly fishing because I'm I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't think anyone could pretend to, to know it all, and um and uh and being being in such a position like that. I want to I want to circle back to something you said right at the beginning there. Um, has it afforded you more time to fish? Yeah, it has actually. It's um it's been a a, a, a successful tree change sea change depending on, yep. on which, which fishing i'm doing um uh so yeah i haven't I haven't lived the uh, negative cliche <laughs> that sort of change i've lived the positive one and <laughs> i definitely get a hell of a lot more time to fish and fortunately a lot more time to fish um midweek as well which is it's is a 
a real luxury that I treasure, um, you know, because being able to rock up to my favourite river or lake or beach or wherever it might be and, and you know, have no one else there, um, for, like for all of us, is a, is a really cool thing. So, but um, there's still lots of lots of work to be done and a business to run and all those boring things that come with, you know, running a small business. Um, so, yeah, you know, that's probably the, the common misconception is that I'm just constantly on trips to, you know, the tropics somewhere uh, chasing bonefish or something and, and, and never <laughs> actually doing any work. <laughs> the, the, the mag doesn't produce itself and the business doesn't run itself. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Leighton, can I ask about your um, your fishing, your, your fly fishing preferences? Like what do you, what do, you do the most of and, and what do you dream the most about? Uh, I, like, like a lot of people from down south in Oz, I've, um, started off as, as a hardcore trout fisherman because that's, you know, what was on my back doorstep or, or at least I thought that was all that was on my back doorstep until I realised there were, there were options even closer to home. Um, but, um, yeah, from there sort of, um, fly life's definitely really opened up my opportunities to, to fish super broadly and, you know, I think one of the hardest things about getting into, um, uh, species beyond trout is if you're geared up for for trout you know you don't necessarily have all the flies you need or all the rods you need or uh, you know all the additional equipment to to get started in salt and i think that can be a bit of a barrier for people but i've had the good fortune of kind of uh, you know having access to 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 have people kind of put stuff in my hand and 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 to be able to do it so that's really sped up the process but but even in you know back in the early days um pre-fly fishing um on a conventional level I, you know it didn't matter what fish i was chasing <laughs> it's like wherever i was if there was a fish in there i was i was keen to spend all day and tr to try and catch it regardless of, of what it was even even if it was a mullet swimming past me so um yeah i'm, I'm pretty agnostic as far as that goes but i guess trout tra fishing is probably still the most accessible for me overall fair enough Leighton, this this next question will um will count to your permanent record. Um, in fifty <laughs> in fifty words or less, can you tell us why Tasmania is better than Victoria? <laughs> well, I'm a Victor <laughs> to be clear, I'm a Victorian, which which a lot of people uh, assume because fly life has its roots in uh, well entrenched in Tasmania. That I'm a Tasmanian too. I, I, I'm married to a Tasmanian, and that's how the uh, connection all started with fly life but um but yeah so i'm a victorian so i'll, I'll, I'll throw that caveat yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um yeah I'm, I'm gonna go with the politically correct they're, they're, they're just different but there, there's a lot of similarities um in the from a from it if we just talk trout for a sec which is obviously the, the you know the, yeah, the, sure. the biggest lens that would be on both both victoria and um tassie from a fly fishing point of view mm. uh, i I think one of the misconceptions is that that you know Victoria and, and Tasmania are, are vastly different, especially when it comes to fast water rivers. Um, yep. And in actual fact, I've found, and a lot, a lot of the guys I fish with now, who fish you know both states readily, um, you know, find a lot of similarities in the in the techniques and flies and that sort of thing we're using. Having said that, I think what Tassie has that Victoria doesn't is it offers the opportunity for really technical fishing, um, both on, on kind of bigger, calmer flowing rivers, like your classic kind of, um, shoals style, um, 
uh, you know, um, spinners on, on, on the esk and that sort of fishing. Um, and then also, you know, also the biggest reputation for Tassie is the lakes. And, um, you know, the, the lakes in Tassie can just do your head in if you, if you don't know what you're doing and has done for me on many occasions. And, you know, I think that's where it really shows the difference. And I guess the other thing is um, it, it, Tassie really has, has a hell of a lot more uh, sight fishing opportunities in, the, in their lakes. Um, you know, the, 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 the sight fishing in Tassie is world class. And, you know, any time you have someone come from overseas, mm. that's, that's the thing that stands out to them is that, that you know, they, they, and the number of lakes, obviously, because there's just thousands of them, literally. Um, yep. But, yeah, I think, you know, in the, in the lakes in Victoria, you tend to do a lot more blind searching and that sort of thing unless you unless you get lucky with a hatch and um, can actually sight fish to the odd fish, but it's usually only a, only brief windows and that sort of thing. So, um, but, you know, it still comes back to that, the best fisheries what's in front of you right so if it's yeah. A, yeah if it's a mud hole with carp in it well you're probably going to rate it if that's all you've got so yeah, mate. yeah it's good it's good fun it's really good fun um you know i guess i guess i'm looking for a segue into into my next question like you know you, you love your fly fishing there's the the connection um well you caught you caught a pretty wonky bouquet at a wedding right um but uh <laughs> <laughs> what made you go go all in on the mag, mate? What 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 was the what was the reasoning for that? Oh, I think insanity would be, you know, if you give me one <laughs> word to describe it, that'd be it. Well, let's uh, leave hindsight uh, out of it. Let's, let's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I th- certainly, most of most of my mates and most of my colleagues in the in my former career were like, "Are you serious? Like, what the yeah. hell are you doing, mate? Like, and what kind of idiot would get into?" print publishing like isn't that dead like that's the classic one that you i used to hear a lot more i think when i started maybe i got better at deflecting it now or even not listening to it when it when it's being said but um mm. it does seem to be being said to me less these days um but yeah certainly when i first got into it it was like what the hell are you thinking like you know like surely you won't even have a business in two years time and here i'm six and a half years later so you know yeah and and things are going well but um but yeah so you know really the motivation was was purely that kind of enigma of fly life as a not not i think a brand is is just too thin to describe it it's it's just that that yeah that enigma that that is fly life to a lot of fly fishermen um was just you know too attractive to to resist getting my teeth into so so I just jumped in the deep end and and swam my way out slowly but surely <laughs> and still swimming. Yeah, I think that's that safety and that decision is right in that word you choose to, chose to describe it too, you know. Like, I mean, you know, entity unlike, I mean, uh, you know, unlike no other. I mean, there's the there's the safety in your decision there because that's truly what fly life is to a lot of fishermen. There's nothing that compares to it, really. Yeah, certainly not in, in Australia and New Zealand over, over the, you know, the time-tested period that it's been around for, and, and and that's that's certainly not something I take credit for. That's that's well and truly in in Rob Sloan's bucket as far as you know establishing um, the the magazine, the business, the brand, the, the whole lot. You know, and and mm. and when he did that, um, there was there was not a lot around, and and there still isn't really. You know, I mean, short of moving into the the digital hemisphere, but from a magazine point of view, 
um, yeah there, there's not a lot else so i guess it's understandable that people's attention is is focused on it well yeah. well yeah yeah that that is it is very unique in that regard um look there's going to be some some of our listeners mate who um you know this will all be news to them so let's let's tick off on um on the, the history of fly life I, I said in the intro we're up to um i've got it in front of me here i've got i've got two in front of me number one and number 105 yeah um, so that's how many issues we're up to um did were you uh were you following fly life at at um issue number one no i think i kicked in probably about maybe the late 30s i think sure, um yeah. i think i sporadically bought the first couple yeah. and then and then from there and i think that was i think the first couple were before i even actually got into fly fishing um yeah. i was just sick of standing at the edge bashing the river with lures and seeing fish rise to tiny little bugs and go, <laughs> there's got to be a better way i think it's fly fishing um so yeah i think it was late late 30s in terms of the issue numbers yeah um, yeah and um yeah these days i get it for free which is good but <laughs> i think technically i am still a subscriber i think my original record is in there and i get it delivered to my letterbox and that's kind of my te test mailer to work out you know whether whether it's getting delivered in a timely fashion and whether the post is trashing it on the way <laughs> it's it's funny you mention that like i said i've got i've got the the first one in front of me it was eight dollars 95 back in 1995 and this this most recent one was um uh oh god 15 bucks or something like that does that sound yeah right? uh yeah 1495 i think uh 1595 sorry 1595 so it hasn't even doubled in in that period of time where you know um a lot of other things have car prices house prices so that it's you know still
get on with his with his writing and his editing and and all those sorts of things and and is not necessarily out and about um you know um singing singing to the hills about it um he's 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 sort of the guy doing the doing um so with that comes that comes that reputation that he's got of of being a bit of an enigma himself because not many people know much about him but but to your to your question on on motivation he I th- you know, was, uh, we recently, when we had our hundredth issue, um, we published on online, and the article's still there if people want to look at it. Um, uh, an article Rob wrote, I think it was for Freshwater Fishing, um, which was his first article, and I, I can't recall exactly how old he was, but I think he was only like fourteen or something like that. Really yeah. young, like to be to be, you know, having the balls to put pen to paper, which it probably was literally pen to paper for that one, um, and. Um, you know, submit that to a magazine. Uh, it was about it was about fly fishing, um, and yeah, I think that was his first kind of formal article. And then he then he'd written for for Freshwater and a few other things for for quite a while after that. Um, before he he sort of in the mid nineties said, you know, I, I think I've got to do something about this basically, um, and and kind of you know start a magazine and put something out there. So it was really that that gap of, of just no local material, um, mm. you know, everything everything at that point in time. And, uh, you know, when I think about it, when I say 1995 is when Fly Life was established, it, it doesn't sound far enough back to me. It feels like Fly Life's been around since the 70s. I don't know whether other people feel that way, but that, that it sort of feels like it's got that that level of roots in in, in fly fishing in Australia. But, but yeah, it was, wasn't until then that, really a lot of um specific information on fly fishing in australia and new zealand started coming about and and looking at you know what flies were actually being used here as opposed to on on the locks in in the uk or on you know um, chalk streams in the uk and stuff like that you know completely useless information for people here you know inspiring but yeah <laughs> useless on a technical level so so really that that was you know if you look at his underlying motivators that 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 was for sure one of the big ones um mm. yeah so and he and, and of course he had the acumen to you know and the and the actual qualifications if you like to to back it up from a from a knowledge point of view um because he's, he's got a PhD in fish biology, right, um, and worked as a trout biologist for quite a long time, and and then he was, I think, he ended up director of Inland Fisheries Service, which is the Tasmanian Fisheries Authority, right. um, and yeah, I think he was in that role for for quite a long time down in Tasmania. So he mate, sort of ha- had that under his belt, you know. Sorry, mate, didn't mean to interrupt. No, you're right. oh, I was just going to jump in and ask. What's Rob doing now? Is he still involved with the mag in some capacity or is he on to some other venture still within literature or anything like that? Yeah, no, he's, he's still well and truly involved in the mag and, and that was a big part of, you know, how our relationship formed. It was uh, he, he and his wife, Libby, weren't necessarily looking to get out of fly life in, in an outright sense. They just were looking to, you know, succeed it and, and pass it on so that it you know, had a had a life a lot longer than than you know, their involvement, if you like. Mm. Um, and so, a big part of the the kind of joining together was that that it wasn't a matter of sort of you know Rob just dusting his hands and and exiting stage left. Um, 
but there's a lot of pressure in running a mag with deadlines and all those you know typical things that people would would kind of assume are involved in a mag bring it all together um we tend to be pretty organized so we're not necessarily flying by the seat of our pants you know at two in the morning <laughs> running down to the printer with a usb stick we're a bit, bit more organized than that but um but there, there's still a lot to to bring together for 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 a deadline and and so the opportunity was there for for rob to kind of ease up on all all that responsibility but still um be involved you know in the mag he loves and the and the um the the topic he loves mm. um and so these days rob still edits all of our text so um basically you know anything you're reading in the magazine goes goes via rob um because wordsmithing is definitely his his skill set and mm -hmm. and yep. for me for me i'm okay at it but it's you know it's not my strongest aspect um and so he's a critical part of our team in that sense um and and so he not only looks at it from a literary point of view but also um you know helps us out with facts checking and sort of you know when people make a particular claim about a fly <laughs> flies are the classic obviously you know it's very easy for it to just sneak through where someone makes some reference to you know being so and so's fly or whatever and if, obviously you can do you can upset a lot of people very fast in the fly world if you sure get that can. stuff wrong definitely it's, it's not not always easy to actually get to the bottom of it and and it, in which case we usually edit that bit out <laughs> or, yeah. or massage it in some way so that it, it you know it doesn't get us into trouble but um but yeah so rob still well and truly ensures the integrity of, of, of the words in the magazine if you like do you think do you think rob would um would uh would edit out the term benthic strata <laughs> <laughs> do you think you'd find that just too rich you know to um to put in a fly, fly fishing magazine well, like i can say from a podcast point of view it's, it's a little unsettling for me you know <laughs> i think you'd have to ask rob yeah <laughs> i'm gonna go for the politically sound answer for that one. <laughs> i can't tell you what rob would say <laughs> oh man i said i dropped that was it last week? I, yeah, I it was, man. Benthic just super strata. casual. Yeah, just casual flex. Yeah, <laughs> like it was, hey, mate, grab me a beer and watch out for that benthic strata, would you? That's yeah. how, <laughs> how just easy it was slipped into conversation. <laughs> <laughs> One final question about Rob, mate. Um, um, he's, written, he's written a few, uh, he's written a couple of books, right? Just a few, yeah. Yeah, yeah, quite a lot actually. <laughs> <laughs> but the one that uh, probably probably sticks with me, and I, I've got to stick my hand up here and say, you know, I've only waded in ankle deep into the into the the world of trout fishing as such. But um, um, he, he wrote he wrote a book called The Truth About Trout, which you know um, even I've read, and you know, for me, it seemed to simplify a lot of the thought processes surrounding you know, how to approach trout fishing, fly selection, even, you know, what was actually in your fly box. Um, you know, it was, it was a real rationalisation and, and, um, and um, uh, yeah, yeah, it was probably, probably the best way to put it. It sort of condensed everything into an easy-to-digest um, way to, to, to attack trout fishing. Um, for me, anyway, did, 
That's because it had pic- pictures in it, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Coloring yeah. bit at the end. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Big word. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, good one. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, I see. Yeah. We've still got plenty of podcasts left for you to pay me back for that one. Oh, yeah, mate. Yeah, there's plenty. Yeah. Trust yeah. me. I don't forget. A long memory. It was great right off the back of Benthic Strata too, you know. It was, yeah. It was, it was yeah, great, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> did you um, – the truth about Trout, did did did, uh, did that in a way define Rob's role in, in Australian fly fishing literature or not? Um, yeah, well, I mean, that's a big, big, big uh, question to – pivot on that book but I guess uh, I think that was published in maybe 1982 or three three I think yeah um, and as I was saying before with with the magazine stuff there, there was really nothing else around at that point um, mm. that had localized information you know for the for the southern hemisphere if you like or for Australia New Zealand um, yeah and yeah, so you know, it was a pretty pivotal book, um, especially in hindsight, looking looking back at it, um, to actually have it written about from that perspective, and, and by someone who, you know, knew what they were talking about through their own experience, but also had the relationships to tap into to other people's experience, um, mm-hmm. and and Rob also had the the experience of his his father, um, Tony Sloan, who is also fairly well known in the in the fly fishing space, um, and. Right. Yeah, so I guess he had a pretty good pedigree to be able to put a book, book like that together. Um, and then the the other one that sort of came into – so there was The Truth About Trout. He did more about trout um, a little while later. Um, I think he did uh, one called Trout Guide. But then the the the, the biggest one in terms of, um, you know, back catalogue sales, if you like, um, from having seen it um, – personally with it with our sales on our online shop mm. uh, was fly fishing fundamentals um, which is actually out of, out of print now and out of stock and we constantly get requests for for it to be reprinted um, and we we haven't sort of got around to justifying doing that at this point but um, right. the you know it's probably something to talk about later on in terms of the the, the, the differences in how people consume you know fly fishing tuition these days um but um but yeah that's certainly been a book that's in huge demand and the the one that's probably slipped in now that is still in print is actually ironically we've gone back to a us-based book and if you look at most of the stores um around the place now they're stocking the orvis one by tom rosenbauer um, which is a pretty looks like a pretty good book i haven't i've got it there i haven't read it from cover to cover myself but um uh but again, it's like a an, an American-based um, book, so <laughs> it's sort of ironic right. that we've gone full circle with that. Um, mm. But but yeah, and then he went on to do um, Australia's best trout flies with Malcolm Cross, um, right. which was a very fly-focused book. Uh, and then he went back to Truth About Trout and and um, did a revisited version revisited in, the, in the early two thousands. Shit, um, so. Bro. Yeah. So it's, yeah, and there's a few others in there as well. So okay, well that's pretty. Um, <laughs> like you said, he's written a lot of books. Um, yeah, he gets it done. 
<laughs> he gets it done. <laughs> he's a get shit it. done guy, right? He's, yeah, not a yeah. he's not a talker. Yeah. He's a doer. Yeah. yeah. Leighton, um, fly life has introduced a whole bunch of new species and, and flies and tackles and even new authors, um, new and exciting ones like myself. No, I'm joking. Um, uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> more recently, you know, there's been some other people who, who, have, who have dabbled in it. Um, is that uh, is that something that's been deliberate to um, to fly life, or uh, you know, in terms of of introducing new new content? Is that is that something they pride themselves on? Yeah, well, content's all we've got, right? So yeah, you know, if, if uh, there's that old saying of content is king, and and for us, it's everything. Um, yeah, and I, I guess the uh, something that people often miss when they're comparing. A, ma a magazine to the general online world is uh, our job is curation of content yep um it's it's creation but it's but it's also curation in the sense of funneling material that we think is relevant to our readership and that's both to what they're doing and wanting to consume from their point of view but also putting opportunities and inspiration under people's noses to expand their enjoyment of the sport um, and their enthusiasm and progress in it, I guess. Yeah. Um, and so that's really where the, you know, if, if you like, that's the demand side of it. And the supply side is our authors who, you know, as, as most people who read the magazine would know, are, are freelance, so they, they don't work for us on staff or anything. Um, uh, but, you know, when, the, when, they've, when they've got a story, they send it in to us and, and um, so it, it, it's developed organically over the years, but we also shape in conversation with people. You know, you and I, Volts, were having a conversation recently uh, about, you know, potential article upcoming, which, which is still yet to hit my desk, by the way. But, oh, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, get, we'll get to that. <laughs> we'll get to that off air, hey. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, as, as, you're, as you just, you know all too well with that process that, that unless you've got photographs, Yes, and and pretty reasonable ones because Flyleaf's always been known for a, f a fairly good standard of image. Um, it you've kind of got nothing. Um, it's like that saying of ideas are like assholes. You know, <laughs> yes. stories stories are like that too. You know, you, you you can think up a million different topics for a story and even write them, but to actually go and create that scenario in a fishery and get the fish, you know, actually actually hook the fish, land the fish, and get the photos is a whole different exercise so when you work through that that process and then look at the people who drop out of the the bottom of it or, or probably more accurately rise to the top mm. um that's where they kind it kind of you know almost sifts itself out to ending up with a fairly i guess elite group um that that comes out of it most of the time because that you've got to put in the work you, on all levels, you, and and that's not just the taking the photos and the writing and everything else. It's it's if you, if you ain't catching the fish, then there's no story. So yep. you, you know the, these people who are especially the ones that produce a really wide range of material on lots of different species and lots of different locations or or lots of different techniques. Um, they're putting in the work. In, from a from a fishing point of view, and and I get a lot of people sort of you know probing me for oh is it you know do you rate this guy do you rate that guy do you, oh do you really rate him or you know like is he really really what he says he is or 
that right. sort of thing. And, and I think at the end of the day, their work speaks for themselves when they produce it consistently over time, sure, um, yeah. both, both in, from a publishing point of view, but, but probably more importantly from a fishing point of view. Um, and so, yeah, as a result, you've, I mean, you look at the, the list of authors we've had, um, you said you got issue one there. And, um, you know, from, from issue one, we had, and this is not from memory, by the way, I actually went and looked it up, um, yeah. but you had uh, guys like Bushy, Rod Harrison, Chris Beach was actually there right from the very beginning, which which a lot of people seem to not realise that and it's worth, worth mentioning. He's been with Fly Life, mm -hmm. you know, probably the longest and the most consistently and, and, and probably doesn't get enough credit for it. Um, Phil Weigel, Peter Luver, Alan Simmons from New Zealand. Um, by issue two, you had Greg French in there, you had Tom Gleisner of um, River Somewhere fame, uh, you had Dean Butler and then you know, not long after you had uh, Morsi come in, uh, Brett Wolf, Dave Anderson, Bob White, and even people like Lefty Cray. Um, so, you know, you look at that list of people and they, they were, you know, a lot of them were around for a, a long time and many of them are still writing for us and producing material for us and, and, and you know, getting out there fishing for all sorts of species in all sorts of places. Yeah. Um, and, and then... You know, more recently, you've got guys like Josh Hutchins, Tom Clancy, Jess McLaughlin, who does a lot of stuff for, for us out of the US, um, mm -hmm. Pete Watson, who does our fly column, Nick Raygart from the New Zealand point New of view, yep. and Andrew Harding, Simon Chu, yep. and, and Tommy Jarman's uh, a new one to the mix for us, um, who for people from a... Um, competition point of view knew him really well but a yep. lot of people in mainstream kind of didn't um but uh, he's a guy that you know i'm not sure there's another person who in terms of fishing your, for your own fishing that there's anyone else in australia who fishes more than he does right now and i know that's a big claim but, right. but the guy the guy literally goes fly fishing every single day and wow. I mean, seven days yep. a week <laughs> wow um, yeah there's not many people in that space, you know, even even from a guide point of view that a, a guide is guiding. Yeah. Um, so um, he's been a really good asset to us. But, yeah, there's just like they just come out of the woodwork, you know, and and and, and that that sort of enigma factor that we talked about of life sure. it sort of always seems to be, fortunately, a, a constant draw for people. Leighton, can I ask, you've mentioned a few international authors there. Um, are you able to... To track how many countries that um, you guys sell magazines to? Yeah, well, we obviously know in terms of who we're posting them to. We we know yep. specifically, and then and then we also see a huge amount of information in our digital data of, of where yep. people are coming from. We get about thirty thousand people a, a month visiting our our website, um, which yep. you know for the for the size of brand and business we are is actually quite reasonable from the world I came from before, having seen a lot of people's data. Um, and uh, there's all your typical countries in there, like um, obviously Australia, New Zealand, but um, of US, Canada, France would, would be our, our biggest followings. France is kind of one that you go, oh, really? How's that yeah. really set up there so high? But, um, and then after that, it'd be sort of your Scandinavian countries like, like Sweden. Mm -hmm. um, and um, Italy and Spain, and then South Africa's right up there as well. So, wow, really? Um, yeah, there's a lot more uh, fly fishermen in South Africa than people realise. Mm, um, yeah. 
They're all pretty hardcore too, the ones I've met. They are hard, mate. So, <laughs> yeah. So many. It's, it's a unique scenario. I'm, I'm really hoping to explore that, um, you know, in a separate show, the, the, South, the South African fly fishing phenomenon because it – you know, the brands of tackle, the locations, uh, you know, their their will and desire and drive to fish is, is just uncanny. And, you know, given, uh, I believe, the the actual population to, to draw upon that might fly fish there is, is you know, you know, not, not you know, say that as large as maybe Sydney or something like that, you know, like it, the amount of prominent fly fishermen has risen from that pool is amazing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, so fly life's available as digital or a hard copy, right? Uh, correct, yeah. yeah Is, so. Have you noticed any shifts in, in you know, buying habits there? It's, it's, it's gone um, one way and then back the other. So it's, it's come back to, to print basically and um, yeah. it, by far print is, is still our strongest. Um, I think mostly, you know, you get some people exclusively read it on digital but, but anecdotally, what I've heard from people and, and even what I used to do myself as a reader, um, uh, many of the people who subscribe digitally just double up, um, you know, if they travel regularly for work or mm. those kind of things, it's easier to carry a bunch of magazines on an iPad than it is to carry a fistful <laughs> in a bag. Yeah. Um, so that I think there's a lot of that goes on. But um, but we, we definitely, um, you know, produce both uh, to the same same standard every issue with, with similar timing and launch dates so well yeah um oh it's really interesting i i was i was expecting with that answer to be you know sliding towards towards digital and you know there's a number of reasons for that you know obviously um in the front of my mind like i, I noticed news agents um at least in my part of the world are becoming sort of smaller or more more mixed business like the magazine offering has gone from racks to you know from number of racks to almost like one wall you know and um one of the one of the kids that's at my kids school um when their dad is a um he owns a, a news agent in a westfield and you know he said it's very much become sort of like a, a mixed business um now that just just for you know so they can compete or, or remain viable you know, because people are getting their gambling online. That you know, um, uh, their their lottos online, their their you know, electronic newspapers instead of you know picking up hard copies. Um, you know, any any other sort of magazines you <clears throat> you might be purchasing at a news agent. You, you know, you'll have that sort of content available free online. Yeah, we we know which which magazines you're talking about. Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> Garden. <laughs> Garden. <laughs> Garden. Did you say? Yeah, so I always, I always got those ones from truck stops myself, but <laughs> oh, yeah. it's, it's more anonymous. You don't want your local news agent knowing what you're doing. <laughs> I'm talking, I'm talking about bait fishing magazines. Yeah, yeah, yeah bait fishing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, QFM. No, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and well, that, that's another example. Like um, the Fishing Monthly Group, you know, they've they've gone from from a number of regional magazines to to one sort of nationwide one. You know. Um, and that the implications for that, you know, is obviously that the um, they can streamline their their authorship and and um, publications, but they're also, you know, they're advertising. They, you know, it's pretty hard to sell advertising for a caravan park in you know central Queensland to someone in Victoria. You know what I mean? Like it just doesn't translate well. So it cuts out a lot of um, potential revenue from from advertisements um, when when that sort of you know cond condensation occurs. So. Um, I'm just sort of, you know, curious how how that 
was happening for you guys um you know obviously people might go into a news agent and pick up you know a fly life based on on the cover like geez, look at that that looks fantastic and you know get gets that sort of idea grabs them makes them pick it up maybe purchase for whatever reason um yeah um so I was, I was wondering are you able to track sales through news agents versus subscriptions or, or where they actually get purchased from the hard copies yeah yeah so we, we run a fairly even mix actually it's fairly um similar in proportions yeah. Um, which works actually really well for, for, for us as a business um, from a stability point of view. Um, but um, uh, sales-wise in news agents, our sales actually run counter to a lot of the baselines of the big um, um, magazine distribution companies. Yep. So, you know, when you, when you look at a lot of the major magazines, they, they're kind of going backwards in their numbers, speaking, yes. speaking broadly. Yeah. Um, and that's just in the reports I get from the, the distributors. Um, whereas our numbers are, are growing slightly, um, which is strange, as you say, given that, that the number of news agents is is kind of shrinking. Um, but I guess there's a consolidation in that as well. Um, and it's one of those things that the We'd obviously prefer, prefer people just to subscribe with us because, you know, we get all the margin. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, a, but a lot of people actually still really enjoy that kind of aspect of walking down the local news agent and, and, and buying it off the shelf and supporting their local business um, from a small business point of view, which, which we think is great. Um, but, yeah, so, you know, sales-wise, that all still stacks up for us. Um, and then the fishing shops still do really well. Um, in terms of the number of mags they supply, um, mm. or, sorry, sell, um, and um, subscriptions-wise, we during COVID, we actually COVID was uh, from that side of the business was really good for us um, in that people had nothing better to do, so they they either you know renewed a membership that had la a subscription that had lapsed, or um, or you know decided to sign up. Um, with the idea of either getting into fly fishing or rekindling an interest or whatever it might be, so so our num numbers went up, you know, to to a reasonable degree um, through that period. So um, yeah, and, and that seems to be reflected in a lot of niche publications around the place for the moment. You know, uh, mags like the Captain and and other mags that sort of uh, come about more recently as well. Um, they they all seem to be going okay. Um, when when or where there will be a transition and this sort of idea that that people perpetuate of you know when it'll all go off a cliff and and one generation will just come along that just has no interest in print. No one knows at all. Like, I don't think I don't think any expert in the industry would be able to actually put a put a figure on it or a forecast on it. Um, and it certainly doesn't keep me up at night. It's just that get your eyes on the prize type attitude of, you know, get on with doing what you're doing and then and then put a bit of balance into it with the with with what we do in the digital world. Leighton, a little while ago we had um we had Dean Butler on and he we brought up in conversation just just quickly in regards to a cover shot that, that Volty liked and we spoke about that for a little bit. I think that was for Fishing World. And he mentioned how how poorly it performed for the uh, for the mag for the magazine in sales and stuff like that. I was I was interested in in that topic and you're probably pretty much 
you know, there's not many people that are going to get an appropriate response for for this question. But how impactful is that um, is that cover? Like, does it? I mean, I'm sure that given given quarterly, um, you know, releases that um, you'd probably see trends in like, you know, people might jump on it straight away or it might be a slow burn. Is it an impactful um, th- a decision that that um, that you make that you see can have ramifications if you if you choose wrong? Yeah. Um, well, the easiest way to answer that is that when when I first got involved in fly life as a as a business, coming from the corporate world, I, I was still in the uh, mode of doing, you know, reports and analysis and spreadsheets and stuff like that, which which are all since done away with and gathering gathering dust because <laughs> basically I kept sticking them under Rob's nose and any of the rest of the team and they just showed no interest at all. <laughs> I just straight <laughs> into either going fishing or working on the next article that was coming along. <laughs> like, yeah, mate, sure, whatever. <laughs> nice analysis. Um, but having said that, the, I, I did do a spreadsheet on um, out of curiosity because um, I, I like working on fact rather than, than inference or uh, anecdotal information and um, looked at Every single cover, um, I can't remember what issue it was up to, but it, it, was a, it was a fair number. It was probably 90 or something like that. And looked at our sell-through rates in the newsagent at comparative to categorising the covers based on salt or fresh, brown or rainbow, yeah. um, and the other category was uh, flies, so shots of a fly or multiple flies kind of thing. And... Funnily enough, the, the, the difference was so minimal that it just all of a sudden freed my thinking up to go, okay, just focus on producing whatever we think is a relevant, good cover um, rather than being worried about what sells. Um, so it was kind of nice to sort of be released from that and not have to stress out about one thing or another. Um, if there was a, a, a kind of a winner by I think maybe 2%, um, it was flies, funnily enough, and I never would have thought that would have been, you know, the one that would would be up there. Um, but it, the difference was was negligible in, in that you you probably wouldn't take that, you know, rest on that and run more more covers with flies on them for, for that point. And it's really not the way we run the magazine either. Like we we don't let stuff like that influence. Well, I made that point before about it's about providing readers what they want but it's also about providing readers what we think might be relevant to them and open up opportunities for them in fly fishing and and the cover's a bit the same you know sort of can can be one of those things that that you can sort of play around with perceptions a bit and um and and also just take a different point of view the the biggest debate that comes up um most often, which you guys know all too well, because I know you get stuck into me about it, um, <laughs> is 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 you know we get the whole oh you never run enough salt covers kind of uh, and and the the reality is we'd actually love to run more, but the majority of our our audience and the majority of fly fishermen in in Australia, New Zealand are trout fishermen you know so we we do deliberately tip the bias and the covers towards that um mm. but when it comes to the content in the magazine i think that that's that's another common misconception is that you know people always talk about oh you never run enough alternate species or salt species or whatever else but if you if you you've got issue one there Volti, and uh, yep. if you just flick through that 
from day dot, like how many salt or uh, alternate and in inverted commas species are in that? Um, at, least, at least four, wouldn't it? Yeah, maybe, yeah. Maybe five. Taylor, um, uh, Barramundi. Um, this is a saltwater flies article. Um, and yeah, yeah. There's so there's there's a bit there. Um, yeah. So you know, I'm not I'm not trying to prove to anyone in terms of shoving it down a saltwater fisherman's throat to say we're God's gift to saltwater fly fishing, but we do run actually quite a high rate and always have done and and really focused on that. Um, and and Rob was a huge advocate for it right from the early days, and 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 I'm no different in terms of wanting to support the whole the whole space in in terms of estuary species as well, and even other other freshwater species. Um, but yeah, it is an interesting, interesting perception. But we've got you know you only produce one magazine. You got to be all things to all people, and that's that's where the challenges come in. Because I'm sure you know people up north in Australia would dearly love to have a magazine mostly just with the species that that they're focused on. Um, but it, yeah, unfortunately, it's not viable for us to run the salt edition and the, the fresh edition or <laughs> something like that. Yeah. So so Layden. How many uh, more issues are we going to expect before we see that carp cover? Yeah, I think that one might be a while. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, it didn't. If you if you look at the timeline of when I got involved in fly life, and then how soon after a carp article, the first ever carp article, I think it, I think it was the first ever. Rob might correct me on that, but um, certainly the first for a long time. Uh, it wasn't that long after I started, so you know I got it. Surely I'm going to get brownie points for that. <laughs> can, can I ask? Can I ask? Was there a deliberate? Um, was that a was that a hot potato up until then that not to publish anything regarding carp? Do you know? Like again, that's another misconception. Is a lot of people think like Rob has always been this conservative, stuffy trout guy, but the yeah. reality is, you know, his own magazine cut through promoting and and kind of supporting the development of. Of salt and alternate um, yeah. under under his management, so the evidence kind of speaks for itself. So it's a weird misconception, and and so trout's the same for him, you know. Uh, sorry, carp's the same for him in mm -hmm. that sense. But just I, th I think probably no one was brave enough to to you know put their name to an article and and put themselves out there to to you know be, be, be lynched really, or <laughs> <you know? laughs> potentially. And and Tom Clancy, um, you know was brave enough to to do that and he he sort of chatted to me about it and said would you be interested um and i he said oh, i've got this spot you know where there's like trolleys under bridges with graffiti on them and that sort of thing and and i said hell yeah like bring it on like that sounds fantastic you know and it doesn't matter if um we're not necessarily shoving it down people's throat to, to um, yeah. suggest that carp should be celebrated you know in, in terms of their environmental issues or anything but but if they're there and they're 20 minutes from yeah from your house and the, the the best you know other fly fishing whatever it might be is you know two hours from your house then why not do it on the way home from work yeah and so, love the love the one you're with you know yeah yeah exactly yeah. so <laughs> yeah. yeah so no, i think that, there's i think cool. there's a distinction there between carp that are already there as a target and and carp in the broader context of, you know, from an environmental management point of view, is a completely different issue. Albeit, yes, I can see they're related. You know, so 
So it's definitely an area we'd be careful in because uh, of those reasons, but, um, but I don't think it's off limits for us. Yeah. Yeah, that's, um, that's pretty interesting. That was something I was going to touch on later and certainly ironic, um, you know, for, for the people who believe that, um, you know, that there might have been a, a, a carp cringe um, up until that point, you know, um, and Rob was working for IFS and what they've successfully eliminated carp from, or they, they've really reduced the number of carp in Tasmania at the moment. Is that right? A couple of the lakes there. Yeah, I certainly see a lot of articles coming out from IFS about Sorrel and the successes they've had there. So I think yep. they've been under pressure for some of those more accessible fisheries to kind of, uh, you know, uh, whether they whether they get rid of the carp or suppress them. Um, yeah. And, and mainly that that's largely, I think, because people want to fish for trout in them. But um, yeah. But yeah, it does seem they're having some success with them in in uh, impoundments as such. Hey, Leighton, um, you mentioned earlier um, truck stop magazines, and um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, if I, if I went back 20, 26 years in that, um, I'm sure you know there would have been a, a few different um, production qualities, hairstyles, that sort of thing. Um, <laughs> I just can't help but notice the massive, the massive difference in um, in photo quality and also photo types um, and styles of photo between you know um, issue 106 and and number one here, um, you know particularly sort of grip and grins and and that sort of um, thing. Have you noticed any changes in in trends when it comes to um, photographic styles? So you saying they've got better or worse since issue one? Uh, they've got way better. They're they're a lot more. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just sort of make sure. Well, it's arguable. Otherwise I'd like to see Scott Mitchell in that lefty cray hat again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, while you've been talking late, and I, I flick through number one here, and I, I sent a photo to Chris of um, Scott Mitchell. He's in he's in the back cast section there of number one. He looks so young. I'll, um, I'll, I'll flick it on to you while we're talking. There's definitely some people who've got a lot less hair than they used to in the photographs if they're, if they're in front of the lens <laughs> in fly life these days. So <laughs> that's a given. And, I, yeah. and I've got less hair because I'm running the magazine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mate, I've, I've flicked it over to you on your mobile. I'll check it out. Uh, cool. Ripper. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, um, have yeah have you noticed there's been a change in in um in styles of photos or what people want to see or what people are actually submitting um yeah look i i certainly obviously the quality of photos is all related to the to the yeah. cameras and production techniques that are being used so yeah. i think that the first two or three magazines fly life did were were on tranny as they called it so slide mm-hmm. um and yeah i, I I've never been involved in that process, but I just can't even start to imagine how laborious that must have been to try and transfer photos from slides through to, um, you know, a print product. <laughs> but that was the way they did it back then. You know, they, I mean, I'm sure people have seen movies of, of um, some fashion house, you know, inspecting all the slides on a light box and that sort of thing for, for a magazine production. But um, for, the, for the kids out there, a slide is something that, that you <laughs> used to stick in a slide projector, so some, a, a, a light globe and a lens, and you would shine the light through the slide and it would project on the wall and people would eat popcorn and 
<laughs> and, and, and spend all night watching uh, pictures of trips and <laughs> your last fishing trip and that sort of thing. But, um, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, so, you know, you've, you had all those limitations as well as, um, you know, the quality of your, your publishing tools um, from a, you know, once, once desktop publishing software kind of kicked in mm. and all that sort of jazz. So there were so many limitations um, based on technology in the, in the earlier days. Um, and then, and, and even things like, you know, the other thing was having a camera out in the field, like cameras were expensive and that, you know, pretty much most of them didn't have any um, weatherproofing or anything. So <laughs> you'd be a complete mm. idiot, idiot to take, you know, a camera out in the salt on a, on a day with passing showers or something because it'd, it'd just be ruined the next day. And, um, so, yeah, you had all those limiters and then, and then yeah, obviously we're at the other end of that spectrum now where, where you get a, the latest iPhone or Android and, and they're producing images with, you know, resolution that could be used to produce billboard posters kind of thing. You know, the, the images are that big in terms of the number of pixels stuffed into a space. Um, so, you know, that that's made a difference in terms of people being Johnny on the spot, I suppose, and having a camera at the ready. Mm. Um, and if anything, we were probably more um, receptive to using iPhone shots than our contributors were. So I think our contributors for a long time were really hesitant, you know, if they had a decent iPhone shot of typically in something where we assemble like a technical article trying to show different, Mm. different aspects of a particular point which actually take a long time to, and a lot of t a lot of different fishing sessions to put together doesn't usually all happen in the one session for you um, yep. and you know so an iphone shot will often crop up in that that process mm. to say well actually you know i was out on this occasion and the, there was a fish actually doing that they were tailing in that spot and and i got the shot um but i don't think we can use it because it's an iphone shot but 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 often we will now um but having said that, you, you've sort of got you've got the, this duality in photography now, where people who people who don't have skill with photography are better off using an iPhone and will get a better shot and just focus on 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 framing and composition, mm -hmm. which is which has always been the fundamental of good photography forever. Um, and but people who do have skill, like your David Andersons and your Josh Hutchins, that we you know run regularly um they can do a whole other level of interpretation and reflection of what's going on yep i don't think you there boss yeah dropped out you there you there layton it sounds like layton's um dropped out there for a moment you there layton huh. it's all battery charging Oh, you there, mate? Yeah, mate. Yeah, what do we do? Back? I've written the time down. Just, just hang five. For... I need to text him. Text him on his mobile. You've dropped out. Yeah, okay, so he's left there. You can add him to the call again, but wait till he texts you back. I don't even know what we were talking about. Um, we were talking about iPhones. Um, That's right. Yeah. All right, listeners, we dropped out for a sec. We're back again. And, um, Leighton, you were talking about, um, 
you know, the the, uh, the quality of photographers and people without skill are better off using the iPhones. And the guys like Dave Anderson and, and Josh are, are quite good at. It. Can you remember where you dropped out from that? Talking about that. Yeah. So uh, the the point I was really making was was just that that skill still matters in photography, and it shows through when it um, you know when we when we print it in a magazine. Um, so you know, high-end cameras in the hands of, of of skilled photographers really really does still make a difference. Um, you know, so some of those misnomers about the idea of that. Well, now that you've got an iPhone that's got such high res and everything else, well, it doesn't take the shot, it doesn't set up the composition, it doesn't work out what what the best lighting is. All of those, you know, all that jargon around photography is not just jargon; it's actually a skill set that takes a lot of years and a lot of work um to get your head around and and you know somehow some of these guys managed to be good at fly fishing and spend enough time to be good at good at that skill and also be good at good at photography as well to a, to a high level um which drives me nuts you know those those people we all know them we've all been to school with them and you know worked mm. with them and everything else they're just good at everything <laughs> <laughs> yeah they're annoying yep yeah <laughs> well it, it's a it's um certainly lifted you know looking at episode one here or, or issue one uh in the most recent one the the level of photography is um is is just incredible um the, you know watching it watching it go um go upwards the composition of the photos the style of photos is more scenery shots um yeah it's the colors are richer it's um it's pretty good it, I've, i'm going to segue into photography it just feels like a natural thing to do uh, what do you look what makes a good fishing photo in your opinion um i think it, fundamentally it comes down to those basics that were that i mentioned before that 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 composition um yeah and it, it it's it's that idea of you know putting the the reader inside the moment because a still a still image is just that you know it's just a slice in time but 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 a good photo will extend beyond just capturing an image of what's happening and and actually tell you something about the context of what's happening and 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 you know you almost get a sense of before and after even though you're only looking at one discrete moment in time, um, and I th I think that that idea in an image will will always stand time eternal, and and it and it's why you go back to photo albums or you know the modern versions of in, in digital land and flick through them because you know you look at one photo and it, 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 I guess you know it's about evoking a sense of what's going on. And, and and that's what you do when you look at your own personal photos. You know, you might look at one photo and spend five minutes thinking about that time you had on the river with your old man, um, or you know, whatever whatever the situation might be. And so it's not dissimilar in the magazine. Um, and I think that's probably the best way I could sum up a good shot, rather rather than the mechanics of it's got to be this, it's got to be that, um, because when it comes to rules. Um, the rules are kind of made to be broken, right? <laughs> sure, sure. Well, yeah. if it came to technical photography rules, you, you you wouldn't have a lot of contributors either. Like you're basically saying that you'll give preference to to uh, a a a photo that creates a feeling. 
yeah, and a, sen- and a sense yeah. of what what's actually going on at that moment and and in that space. So on that river, or you know, on that flat, or um, yeah, wherever it might be, um, and and a good photo will do that. Yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. It does it for me too. Like I can look at someone's photo and it could be. I mean, we 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 you know jokingly around tease people for sunset shots, but. I mean, sunset shots are a, sunset shots are a great example of of something simple like that that you're saying. But obviously, you, know, we, you can't have a magazine with sunset sunset shots in it. But um, but that that it it I mean, it could be anything. It could be tying on a hook. Yeah, everyone knows that feeling of anticipation in the morning of of just starting and just tying that fly on. I mean, that's. I know True. exactly what you mean. I, I, I yeah. can look at photos like that. I'm sure everyone can. You know, whether they can articulate it or not. But um, everyone knows can can feel. The, the mood of that photo, a good one, that's for sure. 100%. And that tying on the fly is a good example in in that sense of there's only one reason you're tying on the fly and that's because you, you're either making a change or putting the first one on for the day and, and, and that anticipation that comes with it. And also, you know, maybe the adrenaline that comes with it as well because your, your hands are shaking that you, so much because <laughs> you, you just want to nail that fish that's in front of you that you can barely barely thread, thread the hook kind of thing. Absolutely. Um, yeah, that's that's exactly what what I mean when I'm talking about evoking a, a sense of what's going on. Yeah. Mm. Nice. Hey, um, Leighton, over the years, has there been any sort of controversial topics that you've published, or or um, things that have stood out that um, that you know created some sort of thought, you know? Um, or, or or maybe constructive discussion on on a on an issue. Yeah, uh, largely speaking, we try not to be too political in the magazine, um, uh, just purely because we feel like not not so that we end up in the territory of being wishy washy. Like uh, you know, you you got to have substance and guts to to what 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 you're publishing, um, but we we feel like. People are reading fly life largely to be educated and entertained in the fly fishing space, and not to, you know, get into into the sticky issues. Um, that's yeah. sort of the way it started, and and it's worked for us, and so we stay there. Um, but occasionally, you know, you'll you'll open Pandora's box on something that that we didn't even realise was an issue for some people. As always with that stuff, it's a matter of perspective or or you know personal experience, or it might be a regional issue that. You know, when you when you um, come from somewhere else as the as the publisher or the writer, that you, you're not aware of that perspective on it. Um, but largely speaking, we we kind of you know fly fairly low. Um, but probably the most recent example was was actually this current issue, um, where I kind of made the choice to to stir up the the um, gender imbalance in the sport. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, it's something that that I've kind of noticed. Since, since I started in the sport um, and I, I grew up in a family with three sisters so you know we, we all you know fished together and 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 did did everything together so um, I, I kind of noticed when when the, the, that balance is not there and it, it had been grating on me for a while so um, yeah I guess we decided to stir the pot a bit and and uh, ran an article from Elsa Caruso that sort of deliberately kind of addressed her point of view on on her observation that there weren't many women around in the in the sport 
Yep. Um, and that was a classic one that kind of, uh, you know, had a bit of a blow up, um, certainly on, on social media anyway, in terms of the established women in the sport um, taking offence to uh, that, inferring that, that, that there weren't women in the sport, that the sport wasn't growing, that this, you know, that, that, that they weren't successful in their own right at, you know, being involved in the sport and, and um, it, that that certainly wasn't our intention to kind of paint it that way. It was more saying, look, the, the fact is there are way less women in, in fly fishing than there could be, should be. Mm-hmm. What can we do as a community was really, we we're really posing a question to our audience who are largely male, so that's kind of, you know, that that, yep. that was a big part of who we had to write to in order to change the space because they're the only people reading it. So I'm telling the people that aren't reading it. Yes. Um, and and yeah, we just we we wanted to provoke in a constructive sense to say, hey, is there are there things we can be doing here to you know when you when you just with the current context of things like um, you know women in cricket and AFLW, your obvious kind of mm-hmm. po- poster examples, if you like, of the progress that can be made in a short period of time. Um, you know, and seeing that at the footy oval over the road from us at grassroots level, how quickly that's poured out into into um, you know grassroots involvement um, for girls in in AFL, for example. Um, you know, my son um, late last year played a delayed series after a few lockdowns and whatnot um, for football and, and, and uh, they sort of mixed the, the, the different comps up and he ended up playing a couple of girls teams um, in, in that and, and you know that was, that was quite an eye-opener for me to, to say well hell you know we're, we're filling entire teams now with girls um, and yeah, so that you know that was, it was pretty controversial, I guess, to to some people. Um, but equally, we received you know really really positive support for it, and lots of sort of direct responses from people who who actually went out of their way more so than usual to kind of uh, say, hey, you know, yeah, I agree. I think there are things we can be doing individually and collectively, and at club levels and so on and so forth to to really you know help facilitate that change. Yep. Um, so yeah, that's probably the most controversial, and it's fairly current. <laughs> can I can I just ask, without stealing into the the IP of the actual article, but more more along the lines of the reaction to it online, which we can all look at for free. What um what were some of the outcomes? How can we increase um, uh, female participation? Um, well, I, I guess as I said, we were more posing the question, so I wouldn't even. I'd say it was more. We were kind of drawing a. Not a start line, because mm. as, as is the point on the controversy around it, it's not about saying that it isn't already in train. Um, it's just saying how can we facilitate, you know, that being as as constructive as an environment as possible. Mm. Um, and to me, it's the as always with those sorts of things. It's it's the little stuff, you know. It's not necessarily getting an AFLW equivalent up and running um, yeah. for fly fishing. It's it's just the you know. When when uh, let's let's put blokes in the hot seat because if we're saying they're the largest numbers, they're the ones that, that you know can potentially help when they're already in the sport, um, rather than just that thought pattern of oh, I'll invite my nephew along. Well, invite your niece along. Yeah. Either either as well or instead of you know like um, it, it's I, I think it comes down to those kind of stereotypes imprints that we all 
have on our, our brains and in our actions that, that, that we're often afraid to actually admit to ourselves, let alone other people. Yeah. And, and, and just reminding ourselves without getting, you know, all, all kind of worked up about it or um, worried about it. it. It's just that initiative and kind of um, conscious thought around it, I think, is, is to me probably the, the biggest thing. And, and that was what we were trying to achieve with, with kind of bring it to the table. We'd, we'd actually, like the biggest thing Fly Life can do is actually publish more females just fishing, not articles on why aren't women in fly fishing. Uh, yep. You know, that's in essence that's probably the least helpful. Um, it, it's actually more helpful to have have a you know balance of female contributors just doing their thing, just like our, our male contributors do. Um, the challenge for us with that is um, we haven't had a lot of contribution over time. That's one of the reasons we run Jess, Jess McLaughlin so regularly because she you know, produces material consistently mm -hmm. for a sort of fly life standard and, uh, um, and, we, and we just try and, you know, in most cases, bend the articles towards our audience um, to make sure it's still relevant. Um, mm. But, you know, from a call-out point of view, we, and, and, you know, I said that on some of the exchange in the social media, um, that, like, the doors are wide open with that stuff. Don't don't assume that because there's an absence of it that it's through some sort of discrimination. It's just literally a, it, it, ain't, it ain't there, so we can't run it. Um, it's like so the that, cup articles, mate. Exactly, yeah. Well, yeah they, don't send too many of those in. <laughs> would, would you be interested in a, um, in a river meat uh, special about cup, like an catch and cook? <laughs> totally. <laughs> Probably lots of shots of them being held up by the gills and, you know, all that sort of classic. Yeah. Classic. Yeah, I, know, I know just the bloke. Don't worry. <laughs> See you. Hey, Leighton, another, um, another hot potato that might pop up over the years is um, you guys have never really shied away from, from location um, articles either. Um, is there a, a managerial policy or, or thought process behind that? Uh, if it lands on our desk, we publish it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. No, yeah. we're obviously, I mean, you know, the thing is we're fly, fly fish aids too. So um, yes. it's, and we all are, like even our, um, our we, we changed designers recently from um, Jeremy Price who worked for us for a long time. Um, and uh, our, our new uh, designer, Marcus Saunders, um, you know, he's not just a designer, he's a, he's a fly fisherman. Um, so we're all highly, you know, empathetic and appreciative of, of what it means to, you know, look mm -hmm. after your local fisheries and that sort of thing. So, um, but yeah, you know, it, it comes up for, for conversation from time to time and, and, and we know there's a lot of stuff that gets held back in terms of material that could be published that, that readers would really enjoy that people think, uh, yeah, I'm not sure whether I want people to know about that place or whatever. Mm. But the, chal the challenge we find is if, if you're not actually providing some sort of insight, you, you know, and, unless it's a technical article about technique, which it doesn't necessarily always matter where you are then, it might be generic technique. Yep. If, it, if, it's, if it's a place-oriented article, it's kind of weird to have an article about a trip and a place and not, not know where that place is. Like it's, it's sort of yes. beside, the, beside the point. So from a from a literary point of view and a publishing point of view, it, yeah, you know, we we kind of don't really have anywhere to go with that. Um, so, in essence, 
we, from you know for people that don't like it we have to be the devil incarnate <laughs> we don't have a choice because that's what that's what we that's what we do for a living and that's and that's what our readers also seem to want from us if you use the numbers over a long period of time to be the measure of success and you know um endorsement of, of that approach i guess with that it's it's you know it comes down to how much information we give um mm -hmm. and we also we also do look at the particular you know waters and stretches of water and whatnot and occasionally sort of discuss oh maybe we you know don't cover that or um or we just give a, a general reference to the region rather than the specific place you're in or whatever it might be sure. um but yeah kind of in the end it raises that idea of um you know does publishing an article in fly life create undue pressure on a fishery um and to me that's that's a really subjective topic um that is obviously also a very passionate topic for people <laughs> so as, as people would know from and uh, you know blow ups on social media and that sort of thing it can get pretty full-on at times yeah um, in terms of people's reaction to that um but for us uh, you know jokingly but semi-seriously i sort of say to people our kind of attitude is short of the super secret spots let's call them. <laughs> yeah just general fishing locations that any punter realistically can look at a map and and or you know search the internet or whatever it might be and find information some sort of information on that fishery to us they're all fair game and if we publish them all then you're back to where you started anyway like the pressure is yep. actually evened out over a period of time sure you might get a little spike where people take an interest one summer in a particular fishery but if 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 the argument is that fly life creates pressure in that way so successfully which we hope we do because that means you know we're good at our job <laughs> yep yep um then the next summer it's creating it somewhere else right so so you know it's it's to me it's a bit like a stress ball there's only so much material in inside the squeezy ball yes. you squeeze it in one place it comes out the other side you squeeze it again and it comes out somewhere else and so over time it kind of just ends up a circle <laughs> if that makes sense it's a random it, analogy yeah, it finds, finds its own balance yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and balance is a good word for it i think and uh, i think to me that's that's what um exposure and even fisheries management seems to be about over time is is balance and sustainability in in all regards from environmental through to through to how many punters do you have turning up to to fish it and how many people do you have killing fish and you know whatever else whatever other issues might come up well there is the argument that you know the increased numbers of users in the area also increases the the value of the area and also increases the stewardship as well so in a way it sort of adds a level of you know protection and and quality assurance into the future right yeah and i, I you know i think that's a, a a pretty well tested argument too that the advocacy yeah. comes from ex you know engaging people in yeah, not just in in fly fishing or fishing but in, yep. in any outdoor related activity but but hiking or mountain biking or whatever it might be they they all have impact yes um that that can and can be managed and usually is managed um and but the advocacy and engagement that comes from 
encouraging people to participate in a in a sustainable way in those environments arguably produces an outcome that, that is is better for all um, because people who fish a river you know every week or every month or whatever it might be or you know a saltwater environment yep. notice notice change notice differences and the and the older you get the the more you notice at a macro level those changes so yep. um and and you, you you look at a lot of the organizations and and whatnot that are around that get involved in 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 you know whether it be from kind of habitat creation from a you know um um, um you know, actually changing the environment through to preservation type yep. approaches. A lot of those people are, you know, fishermen and hunters and so that's on right. and so forth. So, um, yeah, you know, and and that's been spoken about, you know, uh, a lot over the years. And 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 I think it's um, been pretty well established that that it's a reasonable thing. Um, and certainly, uh, Tassie um is 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 a really good microscope on on the way that works where you've still got some pretty significant areas um of wilderness and and so on and so forth that 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 kind of do come under under pressure <laughs> inverted commas I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because like tassie for me i've never been there um i'd love to go there sometime but um, I hear a lot about the wilderness fishing now. It's, you know, it's famous. Once again, if that had never been published, we'd never know about it. Um, but there was recently something I, I came in really late on on the whole the whole argument. Can you give us five minutes or give us a 101 on that? Um, was it, is it called Melbina? Yeah, like Melbina, yeah. Yeah, yeah. What's that all about? Yeah, so there's, uh, there's been uh, an ongoing... Um, uh, public debate, I guess you'd call it, as well as you know, actual legal challenges and so on and so forth, um, with some developments that were were proposed um, for Lake Melbourne out in the Western Lakes, um, which which included um, you know helicopter access and um, whatnot for for guided clients to be coming in and and you know without getting into a, a, um, long-winded and detailed kind of rundown of what happened yeah. there and I'm not even the best person for that because I wasn't directly involved in it I was a fly on the wall for it but yeah. um but you know the, it created a pretty passionate response um certainly from a lot of Tasmanians but also a lot of mainlanders and and, and got a lot of media attention um uh, you know just around whether that was the right way to approach that fishery was was really the nub of it and and more broadly it was examined and debated i guess as to um you know a lot of people use the term thin end of the wedge yeah. of you know sometimes you you may need to be careful of whether allowing one thing in one place actually then bubbles out into that proliferating across a, a range of areas um and so that was certainly one of the concerns um with the with the proposal that was sort of in play there um so yeah you know i think it's a good example of of how um uh, kind of um i guess controversial and 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 but equally engaged 
that that advocacy can be that we were talking about before and 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 that can be from multiple sides of the fence too right it doesn't have to be just people who say don't touch it um it it it, it works from both directions and and you know to me that's a that's a healthy democracy that's yeah that's kind of that's why we choose to to live in the places we do um with, the triumph with the, the triumph is in the in the discussion that that comes from it right like you know we can understand and respect each other's viewpoints and and all all you know get awareness from it yeah yeah, yeah. you know and and to me you know to bring that full circle back to the idea of fly life publishing articles on places um you know uh, that that's what we're looking for is that sort of robust exchange on on how far things should go and it's it's always going to be a um you know shades of gray it's never going to be a, a specific line in the sand um, and that's going to change over time based on 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 our community so it, it's really about developing a consensus of 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 you know what a reasonable approach is Lane, I'm interested in um, in uh, what what's the biggest uh, motivation for you as a publisher. Like, what gives you the biggest kick out of your job? Um, recruitment's a big one. So, you know, I think Floor Life has always uh, significantly filled that space of people getting involved in the sport, and through to, I guess what I would call an intermediate stage of the sport where they're starting to actually, you know, they start catching a few trout or, mm. you know, um, or a few salt species or whatever it might be, depending on where they live. Um, and and then they kind of get the hunger and the, <laughs> and the froth. Yeah. Going and, and next thing, uh, you know, they leave and work at two o'clock on a Friday afternoon <laughs> and, and kind of heading to the, whatever fishery that is burning a hole in their head that they want to go and fish for the weekend and, and then kind of rock up to work all bleary-eyed on Monday because they <laughs> drove back at, you know, one o'clock in the morning. <laughs> um, and, they, and then they move to that next phase of kind of going, okay, shit, I'm getting my ass handed to me on, you know, from, from a bunch of these fisheries or fish or species or whatever it might be. Um, mm -hmm. Or my mates out fishing me, or whatever it might be, um, and they had that burning desire for more knowledge and more applied kind of um, information. Um, I re I really like the nature of filling that space because it, to, to me, fly fishing changed my life. Um, not in a you know in a in a superfluous way in the sense of it's just a pastime for me, but it's such a significant pastime. Um, in in terms of the, the the space that fills in my life, um, that I like the idea of being able to facilitate that for for lots and lots of other people. Um, so that that'd be you know the biggest one, and then the other one is just the the thrill of bringing together, um, you know, with a team of people, a, a creative collaboration of, of um, something that you can kind of literally sit on the desk and touch and feel and go, hey. We created that. That's pretty cool. <laughs> um, you know, like without blowing a trumpet, it's about the quality or anything. It, it's just more that the, the satisfaction component of it. Sure. Um, yeah, it's just a really tangible um, outcome uh, for to do for a job. Um, mm. And and the, the world I came from was, you know, often anything but that, which I think is why 
used to produce so many spreadsheets and, and whatnot because it was the only way of actually producing something tangible that, that, <laughs> that said here's, here's what we actually did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, where, yeah, so, you know, that, that's been quite a thrill for me to sort of move, move into something, um, yeah, more uh, real, I guess. Yeah. Do you think, do you think you're in the, in the business of selling information or aspiration? Um, I would say both, and I would also add the term inspiration. And yeah, right. I, I think there's a distinction between aspiration and inspiration. So, you know, I think with with most outdoor pursuits, there's there's many people that sort of engage from an aspirational point of view, and some follow through and some don't. Um, but to me, that's probably the least. Um, the lowest number of people that, that we engage with as a magazine sure. um, and inspiration and, and information from, from, you know, from a point of view of education, whether it be about places or techniques or whatever it might be, mm -hmm. um, are really the main roles we fill. And you can see that in our, in our readership, um, uh, um, you know how long we have our readers for um the when we did our survey back in 2020 um the average i think came out at seven years i think that 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 people had been subscribers for or whatever it might be wow um which might not sound huge but as an average number um it's actually quite significant and, and we've still got you know thousands of subscribers that have been on board since issue one and it's, it's still going and occasionally we get an email from from you know a 85 year old or something that says you know what <laughs> i'm going to call this my last one because i'm just not getting out anymore and i'm not getting around to reading the mags and so on and so forth but that even then they kind of close up their subscription reluctantly and um and 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 sort of you know Pack up their bat and go home, but um, yeah, they they feel the need and desire to actually touch base with us and say it's not because we don't like what you're doing; it's it's just because of where I'm at in my life stage. Um, and to me, that's a real qualifier of that 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 we um, are fulfilling that that purpose, if you like, of that education and inspiration for people. Pretty, yeah, actually, yeah. pretty satisfying to hear and. Uh, on a very deep level, you know that's for sure. I know, I know it would be if I heard it. If I was in your position, I'd be like, "Wow, that's um." For someone to feel the need to to explain why they're not buying it anymore, um, you know, felt that you needed to know. Well, they yeah. must really feel that connection, you know, to to have to to, to feel the need to do that. Yeah, totally. Yeah, mm. and I, I think it comes down to you know that sort of tribal aspect. I think, it, like we were talking about earlier on, um, you know, fly life does have that that tribal magnetism to it um because it it represents our community it's sort of bigger than all of us um mm. and you, you know i think that's a big big part of that and the other thing i should point out in terms of talking about age groups is a lot i do get a lot that people make the assumption that that the majority of our readers are old farts and uh, again, if you go back to our survey and, and and look at other data we've got, we actually have a really even spread across, if you take the sort of decade slices, um, most people other than people who are kind of born into it 
seem to get into fly fishing later in life. So they start off in conventional and then mm. move across in their late 20s, early 30s. But then from that uh, 30 to 40, 40 to 50 and so on and so forth, we've pretty much got an even spread across the lot. And right. to me, that's a, um, you know, I touched on on the idea of recruitment um, before with, with motivators. Um, it's That's a pretty good indicator to me that there's still a really good flow of new blood coming into the sport and, and, and a new energy. Because um, if you're still getting that that 30, 30 to 40 crew coming through at the same rate that it always has, if you like, um, then that's the lifeblood of the sport for the next, you know, 50 years potentially. So, um, yeah, to me, that's a, it's a really good sign for the sport and it's obviously also a really good sign for, for fly life. Leighton, I've got final topic. Um, it's, it's a little, it's fairly broad. Um, imagine, imagine you've got someone out there who's sitting on the fence, is always wanted to submit an article or, or maybe see an article, for whatever reason, their own article in fly life. Can you um can you outline the um the creative process? What they need to do? What you need? What um how would they go about it from turning that daydream into a reality? Yeah, look, the f- the first thing I always say to people is pictures, 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 pictures. Uh, yep. As I mentioned before, you know, stories are like assholes. Everybody can come up with them, mm. um, and and it's an easy thing to sit down at your desk and and just punch out some words to do that with with heaps of skill and and yep. you know um, and craft a piece well from a literary point of view is a whole other thing but but anybody can knock out 2000 words on on a fishing trip they did mm-hmm. but to get the images to go with that is a whole other exercise sure and so i would encourage people if they want to contribute to start there just just get the images and the other the other kind of rule of thumb is try not to pre-bake a concept and I know Volts is dealing with this right now. He's 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 not following my my advice I'm giving right now, and, and he's, <laughs> he's got a weird. he's got a concept in his head that he wants to achieve. And it, there's nothing wrong with that. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> All I'm saying is it's the most challenging way to do an article because you then have to backfill your ideas with the realities in the fishery. So you actually have to go out catch those fish in the environment that you attended to show them in, actually have someone there to take photos of you because if it's just you fishing, mm. selfies won't cut it. <laughs> and, um, well, most of the time. Um, and so the best way to get an article is to just let it happen, just to be there, just to go fishing and and to do it with a mate and, and to – to switch over and, and each take photos and get plenty of material and, and have fun doing it and just fish. And then look look at your photos afterwards and go, you know what, we've got some absolute crackers in here. I reckon they're, they're up to standard. Maybe, maybe we'll submit them. Um, and then, we, you know, we can review those and say, yep, they're really good actually. What have you got in mind for the write-up? Um, without wasting your time on on writing a story for the sake of it when when the images sure. don't support it so that that'd be my biggest piece of advice on on approaching content i like that that makes sense mm. yeah and you know obviously just retouching on that what you said earlier photos that evoke an emotion or tell a story um yeah get them 
Um, yeah. Uh, the other the one more point is um, <laughs> get yourself a rubber fish or a like cut one out of timber or something, <laughs> and and practice holding the size of fish, preferably rubber because they sag in your hand and that sort of thing. <laughs> or find something that looks a bit like a like a fish or something, <laughs> and, <laughs> and practice because the art of holding a fish for a photo without having your mitts all over the front of it and everything else. And this is not just, I'm not just talking for, for an article for Flylock, but just, just for your own fishing photography is it's actually more challenging than people think um, mm -hmm. because you, you just don't get the opportunity to practice very much and, and you want to get the fish back in the water as, as quick as you can to do the right thing by the fish. So you can't just sit there for half an hour practicing your fish holding. Mm -hmm. um, and so it sounds stupid, but <laughs> seriously, it's a skill. Um, and uh, Jimmy Laverty actually taught taught me on a bone fishing trip a trick of popping your your three three fingers uh, under the belly of a fish. It's got to be you know small enough that you can carry the weight in one hand. Um, but but it works on you know up to full size bone fish. And then your thumb at the back of their dorsal fin, and you end up losing. It's I don't know whether you can picture that. I know we're not on TV. Um, but, but you're kind of three fingers out straight on the belly of the fish and your thumb up sort of forming a triangle up above on the dorsal fin of the fish and you just cradle it to the point of almost tipping it out of your hand and you, you pretty much get a, a photo of the fish with no hand at all. Right. Um, and, Where do you put uh, your little finger? Just, <laughs> just tuck it back. Tuck it back. It gets yep. in the gets in the road otherwise, but, yeah, yeah. it's the three, three fingers, so you actually tuck your little finger back. Um, but it was the best best tip I ever got, and uh, but it, yeah, it, it takes practice, but it, it really does make a difference to your own gripping grin shots for your own photo library because fingers in front just look crap. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, and that'll depend on the species as well. You see a lot of totally. some of the young yeah. fellas are so good at hiding their fingers; it just looks like the fish is hovering. It's amazing. Yeah. You, yeah, you you see that in the person. You're like you can see that the person taking the photo is. Like you said, you can either you can support the fish to it's almost tipping. That's if the camera's at uh, you know at um, a per perpendicular angle to the yeah. to the fish, I suppose, or to the um, to level ground, I guess. But the guys, who, some of the guys who do it really well. You're watching they they almost come in at a 45 degree angle, but you can't tell from the photo. It's um yeah, you're right. It's it's a it's a massive skill getting someone to hold a fish well and correctly. It's um it's something's either got to be taught or you know like you don't get a lot of opportunity with it. if you're a natural at it, you, you, it's a bit of a bit of a freak thing. Totally, yeah. Mm. But it's one of those little secrets that you know people just assume it happens that way. But it's mm. it's through a lot of a lot of practice and a lot of fish caught over a long time. Yeah, for anybody you see doing it well. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It is it's a pet item. I watched um TV shows and stuff where people pull the fish out. And go on to explain all sorts of history and facts about them while the fish is out of the water. When I think to myself, you could have taken some, you know, ten seconds of footage, slow mo it down to forty seconds, and had a voiceover that explained all that and put the fish back. You know, so it's um for this. I think the same thing with stills when people, you know, some of the fish, some of the, like Saratoga, for example, such a hard fish to hold. You know, it's such a hard fish to hold. It it can be such so challenging that it's much easier for me to just take video footage and take a screenshot out of it. You know. It's uh, to, you know, get it on 4K or something like that, and just grab a frame for for social media, than yeah. it is to, to hurt the vision, have it out, and wait for it to be g almost given up to sit still for a photo. You know. Yep. Yeah. Totally. It's, yeah. So it's uh, yeah, it's interesting. Sorry, just I'm getting down a pet subject there of mine, but uh, 
<laughs> fish, <laughs> fish handling, but I don't want to, don't want to hijack it because it's, um, yeah, it's an interesting thing. Like you said, at the end of the day for, for content, that, that skill of holding a fish is, is very important. Yeah. And the thing is, if you do practice it, it, it actually helps with fish handling in terms of looking after the fish because you spend Absolutely. a lot less time dropping it on the deck of your boat or whatever it might be. If you're going to put it back, you know, you, you want to put it back in, in the best possible shape you can. Absolutely. Um, so it does make a difference. And people take photos of the fish they catch, understandably. So, you know, so you might as well do it well. Mm. Absolutely. There's nothing, nothing more than, than ruins the moment to, to, um, to have seen or heard of a, a fish that didn't make it because it was getting photographed, I reckon. <laughs> totally. It's, it's, yeah, but anyway. Um, yeah, righto. Well, that's, that's really interesting. Did you have something else, Fultz? No, man. I, um, I think that, uh, that's all we've got time for, actually. We've, we've, um, it was we've a long gone, one. Yeah, it's going to be a long one, yeah. Mm. <laughs> I yeah. couldn't. It was hard to tell. It went really seamlessly. It was it was great, Leighton. It's um, but that was that was a great show, man. I really appreciate your time and make it, for making the time for the show. Pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no worries at all. All Thanks. right. Um, yeah. Look yeah. forward to the to the next uh, issue. When's it out? Autumn. So. Uh, yeah. So it'll be out in time for the beginning of March, and it should be a good one. Looking forward to that. Any hints? No. You'll have to no. wait and see. No. <laughs> <laughs> Brown or rainbow on the cover, mate. Must be it'll, new. It'll definitely be uh, a bunch of fly fishing. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Good on you, All mate. right. Well, we might uh, we might end the recording. And when we get off air, mate, I might just give you those contact details for that um, carp cover shot, mate, as well. Yeah. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> Send it on in. No worries at all. All right. Well, thanks, folks. We'll, uh, we'll be back with the outro in a moment. What a great show. I thoroughly enjoyed that. Mate, I did too. I did too. It was pretty energising chat, talking to uh, to Leighton about the fly life process. Um, you know, I I was inspired by uh, how refreshing and um, and how progressive fly life um, are. You know, there, there's a lot of opportunities to shape what people read into the future. It's amazing. Yeah, that was the thing that surprised me was um, – well, fly life, yeah, but how progressive Leighton is, you know, as the owner of it yep. is, and, and his attitude towards contribution. I come to realise, you know, which is something I'd never realised before from just standing on the outside looking in towards fly life is that, and I mean, it makes sense when I say it out loud, but fly life's shaped by its contributors rather than the people that, that own it and run it, you know. They might, they'll like, like what Leighton said at the beginning, he simply curates content, and the content is created by the the contributors who are freelance, and then they um, piece it all together. So, I mean, that leads me on to sort of think that, you know, like if you were listening to this and you thought to yourself, you know, like I've got, why isn't this in there? Or why, why, why I've got something to say and all that sort of stuff that, you know, like I think Fly Life would want to want to hear from you from, from what I gather from what Leighton was saying. Um, interestingly enough, you know, like a lot of people that you talk to in regards to Fly Life think that they can't contribute because they don't own a, you know, a um, 
a, um, a, a, um, a 5D DSLR camera when Leighton's talking about potentially contributing all your images via iPhone, you know, this day yeah. and age, which is, um, you know, which is probably testament to the technology quite a bit, but also in part to the progressiveness of, of that publication. So, you know, it should be inspiring to those that are listening to this right now, thinking yep. to themselves, I, I could do that. I could, I could contribute. That's true. Eh? You don't, don't let them hold back. Um, you know, don't let those insecurities about your, your technology or cameras at hand hold you back. Just get those shots, you know. Yeah. Spend the time uh, getting the composition or thinking about the shots, Get you know, being thoughtful with them just, and then get the shots. You know, let, yeah. let them handle the processing. Um, one of the articles I, the first article I pu- public, got published by them, it, it has a, a, an iPhone shot in there. In fact, it's not an iPhone, it's an uh, early Nokia, one of the first ones with cameras. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, it is, it is a small photo in terms of um, the uh, the amount of pixels in there. I, I can't remember the actual size of it, but it was, um, yeah, it was shot by Neil Cunnington's wife on, a, on an old Nokia. So... Did yeah. it look like an image of Bigfoot in the um, Imbul Forest? <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it actually. Um, she she's uh, she's an artist, so she she's got an eye for it. But she, it was a good composition of a tusky's head with a with a crab resting on its cheek. Um, yep. But yeah, shot on you know. So there's no excuses. Don't just get out there and, and you know do your best. Um, I'd feel like this show was a success if. It just inspired someone out there to get out, write about you know something they're passionate about, follow the the uh, the, the processes that that Leighton discussed, and and submit something and have it published. It's hell of a buzz, you know. Well, look, I don't, I don't want to knock anyone's confidence. I mean, the the path is there if you if you feel as though that you've got something. But if you're sitting on the fence and you really want to know whether you've got the talent to be able to do that, whether it be fishing talent, writing talent, photography talent. Why don't you? Why don't you give whatever you're, you know, in question about to a friend, and get them to send it to one of their friends and say, "Hey, such and such is thinking to write an article. What do you think of this?" And then get their organic response. Because if you just ask a friend, "Hey, I'm wondering about doing this," they'll go like this, "Yeah," you know, that high tone of, "Yeah, I think so." You know, that's um. But if I hear someone with that high tone of, "Yeah, I, I think you could do that," yeah, yeah, I think to myself, hmm. <laughs> I think you've got reservations, my friend. At, um, <laughs> so um, you should probably just, you know, run it past a third party without them knowing that you're going to see the feedback. That's probably the best way. <laughs> just a, just a, just an end of the show tip. Yeah, I think you could do that, yeah. You know the tone, right? Yeah, mate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I say it to you a lot. <laughs> yeah, you, 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 you look fine, mate. Yeah. Sort of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so you know like who knows what the uh it, you know the thing that the thing that separates it i think that when Leighton's talking about it's um going from strength to strength so to speak uh is in the fact of the quality there i mean the, the social media like it could look like a giant killer in regards to print media like that and it probably is for a lot of it um but when you've got a quarterly publication like that that's um that's uh putting out well constructed and, and um well filtered content uh or curated content as he as he puts there you know it's it's almost like you know like it's it's not like but it's kind of reminds me of podcasts as well like it's a long form chat whereas uh you know you might get you get an instagram post you've got one photo and you've got a, a, essentially what's a caption 
Well, it might be a few sentences or more for a few people, but here you've got this long form version of that, you know, which is what people like. I think people will can appreciate, don't need, but can can see the value in it, which is why it's probably going from strength to strength. I don't know if that translated well. Give me your high tone reply. Yeah, that went all right, Chris. Yeah, I understood that. Fantastic, Chris. Yeah, yeah, well done. Yeah. I got every word you said. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense, dude. <laughs> Does it? I think so. Yeah, yeah, cool. All right. Yeah. Well, I still dare you to catch one of those tailing brim and... Uh, uh, <laughs> I don't yeah. think you should. I think you should glance over those things, mate. I think it's. Um, I think you'd be surprised. I would challenge anyone, no matter you know, no matter how experienced they are at um, sight fishing fish on the flats, you know, to um, to 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 be consistent with those yellowfin brim. Yeah. When they're tailing like that, that is that is they're stupidly hard. It it did look like it would be incredibly difficult. When I say I wasn't interested, it's just that I'm not really. Up for the challenge, man. <laughs> the, oh. the other bit, the other bit that bugged me was that it was a bit of a wade through um, knee deep mud to get at them. Yeah. Off the off the back of this flat where the seagrass started, it was just terrible. Stunk yeah. like shit. Yeah. Probably a lot of stingrays there too, eh? Yeah. Yep. Mhm. Yeah, it looked like um a uh, a lemonade spider. You know? <laughs> Coke spider, mate. Coke Cold spider. Yeah. 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 yeah, mate. So, um, what do you reckon, mate? Is there anything you, you would like to add? Nah, let's wrap it up. You want to wrap this, wrap this uh, show up? Oh, that was close. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know what? I can't wait, can't wait to see any on the cover of Fly Life too. <laughs> Just sit on that rock like Gollum, eating that raw fish, smashing it down. Yeah, yeah. smashing it down. Yeah. It's uh yeah, mate. Yeah, death row spelt R O E. So good. Yeah. You bit tired, mate. Yeah, man. You had a pretty action packed Australia Day, have you? I have, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You get the Southern Cross tattooed on your back this day? No. no. You have an Australian flag sticker on your cheekbone? No, I just got Aussie Pride on my uh, on my uh, pack there. So yeah. Nice, mate. Nice. <laughs> you would have got that in full cursive writing. You got massive pecs, right? Big, big yeah, C yeah. cups. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's yeah good. Nice, nice work, check mate. It out. Yeah, yeah, check it out. Intimidating to many jet skiers, I'm sure. Oh, mate, they run for the hills when they see that thing bouncing. Yeah. Aussie Pride on one pack, monster <laughs> logo on the other. <laughs> <laughs> Ford yeah, Ranger on across your shoulder blades. Yeah, I got Jet Pilot across the traps. Yeah. Oh yeah, nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can so see it. So yeah. so see it. Yeah. All right, okay. mate. See you next week. Eh? Another week done and dusted. Almost was it December? Feels like it. <laughs> Feels like it, doesn't it? Uh, yeah. Good show next week. Good show the week after. Um, the week after that, anyone's guess. Um, but yeah, now we've got some plans. Just waiting for them to come to fruition. Yeah. Yeah, should be good. All right, man. See ya. See you, mate.
gather round people and I'll tell you a story. 200 years of history that's falsified. British invaders that we remember as heroes. Are you ready to tell the other side? We start our story in 1493 with a piece of paper called the Doctrine of Discovery invoked by Pope Alexander VI without this good Christian our story don't exist from little things big things grow from little things big things grow Captain James Cook, he boarded a fleet And he was armed with the doctrine of discovery The same tactics were used by Columbus It's how today Australia claims terra nullius Cause on that paper, the Pope did write That you're only human if you've been saved by Christ And if there are no Christians in sight, the land you stumble on becomes your God-given right. From little things, big things grow. From little things, big things grow. Is that your Lord? Because that's invasion. That's the destruction of 500 nations The genocide of entire populations Which planted the seeds for the stolen generation And grew into my people's mass incarceration Now we pass trauma through many generations The Lord can't discover what already existed For 200 years my people have resisted From Little things, big things grow From little things, big things grow The war's continued since Captain James Cook And this side of history you don't write in your books You don't want the truth and you don't want to listen But how can you stomach Australia's contradiction? Cause we went to war in 1945 We were allies against a terrible genocide And I know it's uncomfortable But the irony I see is that you fall for them But you don't fight for me From little things, big things grow From little things, big things grow We should move on, move on to what? I still remember, have you forgot? That Vincent Langari knew others were rising Gurindji inspired us to keep on fighting So call it Australia, go on call it what you like I just call it how I see it, and I see genocide Now that you hear me, can you understand? There will never be justice on our stolen land From 
Little things, big things grow from Little things, big things grow This is the story of so-called Australia, but this is the story of so much more. How power and privilege cannot move my people. We know where we stand. We stand in our law. From little things, big things grow. 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 Yeah.